The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the behavioral corner. It's me, Uncle Steve, Steve Martorano, hanging here, uh, waiting for somebody interesting to come by the corner. And they, darn if they don't do, uh, do that very, very often. At least we hope you're finding that to be true. Behavioral Corner is a podcast about, as we like to say, everything, because everything affects our behavioral health. And um, it's made all possible by our great underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. Be more about them down the road. So let me bring you up to speed. Those of you that are just dropping in, maybe for the first time, we do programs, as I said, that cover the a broad spectrum of uh, characters and lifestyles and problems, and from clinicians to uh, to athletes, to broadcasters, and they, they tell us about uh, their situation. And we learned something from it last episode. Uh, and by the way, you can check out all of our previous episodes. They're uh, archived right there on our website, behavioralcorner.com. They're all there. And last last episode, uh, the most recent one, it's up there now, uh, Bill Merck, who was a, a sort of a life coach and a uh, uh, an expert in uh, uh, job placement and human resources. He he talked to us about ageism uh, and how people are stereotyped by their age, the the obstacles that presents. And, and he was a broad swath of people. He was looking at everyone from 18 to the upper end of that. And uh, when we finished, we thought it was uh, enlightening. Certainly opened my eyes to a lot of things about somebody my age uh, who confronts ageism every now and then. But it also uh, led us to think, well, you know what? Let's, you know, let's talk about the younger guys, because we've had a lot of people from the younger generation on the program, but they're usually here to speak about some specific uh, topic, not about their generation. So we thought, you know what, let's do a Margaret Mead here and go into the uh, into the wild and see if we can find one of these Gen Z characters, uh, Generation Z, and uh, get to know them up close in person, because they will, for better or worse, inherit the earth. So that's what we did, and that's why we're welcoming uh, our guest uh, today, Michael Altabelli. Uh, Michael is a, a 20-year-old college student, and uh, he'll tell you a little bit more about that ahead. In the interest of complete disclosure, Michael was not chosen at random, but instead uh, he was recommended by his dad, who who is my strong right hand. Uh, Paul Altabelli puts the uh, corner together for us. Uh, he he is the reason you can hear me when I turn the mic on, and you can see the pictures when they are uh, being streamed to you. So we thank uh, his dad, Paul, uh, for that. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us on the corner. Thank you, Steve. Tell me about yourself. Twenty-year-old college student. What, how much more time do you have? So I am in my junior year of college. I go to Rutgers Camden uh, uh, Business School. I have this year. And I have half of next year. So I'm going to be in half, half. I'm going to have to do half of my senior year. And what are you majoring in? I am majoring in finance with a minor in economics. Uh, well, you know what? That'll come in handy because the last time I checked, uh, money doesn't talk. It swears. 
and it makes the world go round. So it's a good, uh, it's a good major. So as you understand, I don't expect you to present yourself as the absolute epitome and typical uh, representative of this generation. Which, incidentally, for those of you who don't follow this things, uh, Generation Z is the newest generation, and it is uh, those people born between 1997. And 2012, that makes them between the ages of 9 and 24. And there are uh, uh, over 68 million members of uh, Generation Z. So, Michael, what I wanted you to do is react for us to what my reading has uh, presented me with as the characteristics and attributes uh, and profile of what the mainstream media, for the most part, and clinicians and psychologists and people claim to be the makeup of your generation. And we'll see if we can learn uh, as much as we can in the short time we have about Gen Z. I, I must, I gotta tell you, I'm just now realizing that my children are millennials. I didn't know that until the other day when one of them reminded me, because I don't keep track of these things. And there are a couple of generations now, I guess two generations separated from you guys. So let's talk about the Z, all right? Yep. Um uh, as I said, here are some of the characteristics. You give me a thumbs up, thumbs down, and some insight on it. Uh, first thing I note is that they say you are ambitious as a group and that you are driven by money. Is that true? Generally, yeah. We are more, for lack of a better word, clout-heavy generation. I'd say we are some of the most individually driven generation. When You see it all the time in media, this random tiktok or youtube star or instagram star doing something extremely selfish to gain prominence like they gave their five minutes of fame on the internet we do that we are generally a more money-driven generation mainly because everything's more expensive now we have to focus on money yeah well you know i mean that's a stark contrast to a lot of other generations that ran around in their youth acting like money didn't matter until you know they grew up and found out that it didn't matter. So you agree with that. You are ambitious. You are, as a group, ambitious. Your friends are ambitious. And money means something. Um, how about travel? It's, you're supposed to love to travel. Is that true? I'm not the most travel-heavy guy in the world. I do go around a lot. But we do generally enjoy traveling. I have, you know, my coworkers were always telling me, it's like, oh, I'm going to New York this summer. Or I have a bud named uh, Noah Kress. And he's, he's gone on vacation two or three times a year all across the country. We we like to be a little more worldly. We like to see just more than our little corner, our little county in the United States. How how large a group do you have around you that you would call tight? In my like immediate friend group, my immediate you know what I would call like my pals, I'd say about fifteen people. Really? Yeah, that's a fairly big number. And and again, it's your suggestion that you all kind of more or less share these these characteristics that we're talking. Yeah, about. I'm speaking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How about anxiety? Anxiety comes up um, in in a couple of generational profiles, but Z is supposed to be particularly anxious. Is that true? Do you find yourself anxious? Extremely. So it, it comes down to that ambition factor because we have so much pressure on ourselves because we feel we have to be that ambitious to succeed in the world, to get a house, to pay off our college bills, to start a family. And you know, we, we view it in such a grandiose mean because of our ambition that we've put way more pressure on ourselves than I think other generations. You set a bar high enough yeah. to, to to achieve it and then correspondingly worry about whether you're going to make it there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what about um, things like boundaries? And I'll tell you what I, I think they mean by that. There have been generations, Mayan 
the boomers in particular, who seemed at least at one very critical point in our lives to have no boundaries. Boundaries were the enemy. Anybody said, don't do this, or you shouldn't do that, it seemed like an invitation to step right over the line. I would say, well, we were not good at setting boundaries. We were good at breaking them down. How about you guys? Uh, Do you set boundaries? We do and don't. We generally want to be a step outside the norm. We want to say no or screw you to the establishment. But we also want to do it in a way, in my opinion, that's less aggressive. Like, how do I say this? This is one of the big things of topic in this generation is gender identity. Our generation wants to take a step forward and really discuss the meaning of that. Um, we're not going to be, you know, militant about it. We're not going to be like up in arms about it, but we are a little more aggressive and standing in favor of we need to have a discussion about this. And even if people do not agree with this, we will try to fight for our beliefs. But like I said, mm-hmm. not in, in a peaceful manner, not in a necessarily militant manner. Are you uh, and your uh, and your and your and your friends in this generation, are you um confused or amused? by all of the anger and division over the issue of gender identity? It's really, really dumb because the number, even though I'm talking about this, the number itself is extremely small. Yesterday, I just before going the, the podcast, I had an idea we might bring this up. Do you know what the actual number of trans people in the United States is? Nope. 0.02%. That includes trans and non-binary people and any other gender identity. That small uh, fraction of the population has everybody freaked out. And our generation is just like, let them live our lives. You know, if they want to identify as transgender or non-binary, let's conform to that. Let's let's make them, if they want, if they were born a girl and they want to be transitioned to a man, we should use the he, him pronoun or he, they pronoun and dress them by their new name. What was that percentage number you gave me? I had a zero point zero two. Zero point zero two. So that's interesting. Uh, anyway, it's an interesting take on boundaries. It sounds as though um, depends upon what boundary you're talking about, because that sounds as uh, boundless and uh, inclusive an attitude uh, as I can imagine. What about n- uh, nostalgia? Are you a nostalgic generation? Do you look back at the past and uh, th- think of it wistfully or how, how do you view that i mean during the obama years you know that's when our generation mainly grew up was during the obama administration while we our generation for the most part has a lot of respect for the the president we always view it as a time of you know not great econ- economically wise you know a lot of people in that generation were not as poor as their millennial or boomer counterparts we uh, generally grew up in more political strife, especially during the Trump administration. So a lot of people probably view it as a the time before COVID, you know, maybe with rose-tinted goggles because it was before COVID when we were growing up. But it wasn't exactly blissful ignorances. It wasn't great for everyone, especially after the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Well, so, let's, well, talk about, let's talk about COVID for a minute. Uh, for a minute. Generally speaking, what kind of an impact did it have? I mean, we all know about the isolation and the lost time and all that, but psychologically, what do you think you you and your friends uh, either suffered or gained from being cut off from each other for so long? 
I gained about 40 pounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but psychologically, it, it was definitely anxiety or anything. I, the reason why I actually ended up getting a job was just to get out of the house. Like I need to join, even if it's going to be a job that could potentially get me COVID, I needed to get back in the work environment. I, I went and applied to go to a supermarket because we were just so isolated and, and our classes, at least on my end, were all, we're not we're, we're virtual, but we even talked to our teachers. They just gave us assignments. It's like, oh, do X, Y, and Z problems and submit it sometime this week. Mm-hmm. So the only people we had to talk with were our you know, family and, um, and we couldn't really hang out. So we were just, during the lockdown, we mainly just had our family and that was it. We could talk to each other online, but we couldn't exactly face each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and academically wise and socially wise i jumped back and i i uh, thank a lot of this to my job because i gotta you know, put my foot back in the human world for a lot of people like my brother it, it, it was a struggle integrating back into society it's just you're gone and don't have to talk to people for so long that socially and academically you can be a bit stunted mm-hmm. I wonder if you you have thought about the contradiction or the irony in the fact that social media and you're the first generation born utterly and completely in new media and technology. Um, I wonder if you if you have an opinion on its effect, uh, which was intended, we were told, to bring us together when, in fact, it seems to have an also isolating effect. Do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially today, especially with Instagram, people, you know, they always say, oh, you know, they always judge their lives compared to others. They see someone being rich and successful. And they go, why, why can't I be like that? Why am I not like that person's the same age or slightly younger than me? And they have like a Lamborghini or a yacht. Why isn't my life like that? Or my, or they're so pretty or that person has so many partners or something of that nature, you know, you know, so it certainly it it certainly uh, makes sense then in the context of uh, the anxiety quotient of your generation. Uh, everybody overlooks that aspect of social media. It hasn't made everybody feel like, you know, the world. Oh, good, I'll have a Lamborghini one day. It sets off immediate waves of anxiety. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about social media, but I want to, we're going to hold that off to the end and talk about some of those platforms uh, specifically. But I got a couple of more kind of generalizations about Gen Z that I want to share with you. Our guest is uh, Michael Altabelli. He's a 20-year-old college student living in uh, in South Jersey. He's a uh, finance major, and we'll find out what he wants to do with that degree when he gets out of college in a little bit. And he's joined us as a sounding board, that's all, on what his generation is or is not, uh, in spite of what they're thought to be. Uh, Gen Z are the uh, people born between 97 and 2012. Let's talk about issues of trust. I'll give you a couple of uh, organizations uh, and you tell me where they rank for you. Of this group, religious leaders, journalists, politicians, or family and friends, who do you put number one on your trust list? Oh, absolutely. Family and friends. Without family and friends, you have nothing in life. Um, you have to trust the people around you. And I can tell you at the bottom of the list for our generation, it's religious figures. You know, we grew up 
a lot of times with the exposure of the Catholic Church. And recently now they're exposing a lot of uh, evangelical and Protestant specs for sexual sexual abuse and scandals like that. And we're not really feeling that religion anymore. That we have all the hypocrisy of of the uh, Christian many Christian organizations going on right now because this country is a predominantly Christian country. That's why I bring up Christianity, and we're not really having a lot of trust in our faith leaders. Not just because our green generation is increasing more atheist or agnostic. It's because if we do want to place our trust in them, a lot of them don't seem to be trustworthy folks. Where would you put journalists or the media in, in that on that list? The media is a complicated issue. It's because it generally it's who you trust. A lot of our generation uses the like the establishment media with ire or scorn. But when it comes to other news sources, it's generally hesitancy. A lot of news, especially in my friend group, they get is through um hearsay. It's like what family and friends are saying. If it is, we try, and I'm speaking about me and my friend group, I can't say this for other members, is we try to go for more neutral or foreign uh, news sources like the BBC or Reuters. Or Reuters. Reuters, thank you. Mm-hmm. Reuters. So you're looking uh, around for multiple sources. You don't give yeah. them the whole class uh, as uh, untrustworthy, but you got to be careful who, who you're reading. Yeah, it's like if you, if you read a Fox News article... You got to go, okay, take this with a grain of salt. Or if you read a CNN article, you got to say, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. read this with a grain of salt. Now, generally, our generation has a little more faith in CNN and MSNBC or over like Fox News or especially Breitbart. Uh, but, you know, we, we generally, you know, keep an eye on what we're reading or what we're watching. So that leaves the bottom of the, the ladder to politicians. What, what it, Give me give me uh, the Gen Z, as you say, it take on on politics do you think they matter in your life do you think it matters uh, in your- our generation is increasingly becoming one of the more politically active generations because we feel show for lack of a better word screwed over by the establishment that we're increasingly becoming more and more populistic we're raising a lot more especially in the left-wing sector a more of a left-wing populist view of the country is that we need to do this now. It's all the establishment's fault. It's all neoliberalism's fault that we're in this mess, which is why a lot of our generation, you know, galvanizes and praises Bernie Sanders and AOC. We view them as the champions of our political cause. We need to focus on the environment. We need to focus on making housing more affordable. We need to focus on, you know, lowering student debts. We need to focus on gender, uh, g- gender and racial equality, those things. These are things that matter on our generations yeah. are at the top of our priority list. And you think uh, as a generation, there's, there's a kind of consensus around those issues and and a not you're not turning off the politics. You're saying, here are our issues. Do something about them. That, yeah. That, yeah. And we feel uh, like they're so, not doing anything about it. We, yeah. we do think, for most part, Biden's trying his best, but we'd like someone younger or someone more ideologically aligned with us. You know, I'm still going to, for the most part, be supporting and most Generation Z members are either Democrats or independent Democrats. And most of them are very reluctant Democrats um, that are supporting it because for the most part, we've hitched, they've Democratic Party has hitched their self the progressive cause. Well, I can understand why a 20 year old would think we'd like somebody younger than an 83 year old. I certainly appreciate that. I understand what you're talking about. Well, that leads us into the what they tell us Gen Z most fears. and. A couple of them you've touched upon. 
Would you, would you put the, the environment uh, at the top of the list of things that you guys are worried about? The environment, student debt, and housing. Those are the big three. The environment is this, this big, overwhelming fear of our generation. It's the one that worries us most is that we don't feel like each party's trying enough to solve this crisis. It's such an overwhelming, human-encompassing crisis mm-hmm. that if we don't address this crisis now, it's never going to address. It needs to be done now. Now, like I said, I think Biden's trying his best, especially with the tools he's been given, but we want him to you know, step it up, kick it up a notch. We want the other members of the establishment from the Republican Party to go, okay, okay, let's put our divisions aside and really work on this. Mm-hmm. But they aren't. So we're driving to more populist candidates on each side. They're saying, okay, we'll do something about this. We need to focus on this. You guys also grew up in the uh, the middle of the tragedy of um, violence in schools, for one thing, but oh, violence yeah. in general. But uh, does your gener- are you, is your generation acutely aware of the violence? Are they, oh, absolutely. You- we uh, we are generally a more anti Second Amendment generation. That's probably I'd say number three or four on the list of top issues we are dealing with. And a large chunk of my friends here is like, listen, we don't want, you know, like the Second Amendment to be banned. No one, most people in our generation don't want the Second Amendment to be, you know, a new constitutional amendment to get rid of it. That's crazy talk. What we want is just simply common sense gun reforms and a ban on automatic and semi-automatic rifles. We had that a lot during the Bill Clinton administration, and we view it gun violence went down dramatically. Why can't we bring that back? Why can't we issue new common sense gun reforms? And we don't. Yeah. And we feel like we're always at this. Like, could this be the day? Could this be the day where it happens? I was at two almost shootings. Um, really? The first one was when I was in high school. And this turns out to be a little more complicated matter. So essentially, a student was in a bathroom talking to another student and he threat- it was threatening how he wanted to shoot his teacher. And he pulled out something from his backpack, and it was all black, and had a weird shading on the uh, on on it. And another student overheard and saw this, and he re- reported this to the campus police department, which we had around three officers at the school. And the school shut down for like an hour and ten minutes. Now it turned out it was just a very weirdly shaped phone case, but everyone was like, "Oh God, this is the one. This is what's finally happening." You know, especially after threatening student, literally threatened to murder a teacher. Yeah, and so you grow up in where it's a, um, it's so um, potentially common yeah. that violence might break out in your classroom. That everything is taken seriously, and the threat is present, whether it's actual or imagined. And the other one, and this is the one that seemed a little more real, was it was I was at the mall and I was actually right next to the guy. This this guy stood up and just started screaming loudly of how he's sick of it all and he wants to end it all. He was screaming this very loudly and the entire mess halls at the cafeteria just stood up and started screaming and running out there. There's probably around maybe 200 people in that area and they all just stampeded out of there mm-hmm. out of fear that, oh yeah. God, it's yeah. finally happening. It's so amazing. We're so, we're, talk about not being able to see the forest for the trees, but we are so living in a different world. There was a time that person who probably had obviously mental health issues has been with us forever. I lived in New York city for years. You, you, you know, people would talk to themselves loudly and scary 
on street corners all over Manhattan when I lived there. Uh, they were viewed as mental health people, and you walked across the street. They were not automatically viewed as an existential threat. And that's the environment that you guys have grown up with. Everything out of the norm, and norm that seems frightening in the moment is viewed as a potential threat to your life. It's outrageous. Good point you bring up. Glad you've done it. Michael Altabelli, a couple more things before we go. We haven't really, we could talk a whole another show about social media. Uh, when did you get your first uh, cell phone? So I was in the middle of sixth grade and a bunch of my uh, classmates already got a phone at that point. How old is sixth grade? Sixth grade, I was 11 and a half. Okay. Um, when I first got my phone and I got it because I got stuck at the school because I had a club, but the club got canceled that day and I had no way to contact home. So I ended up just more or less fiddling with my thumbs for about like two and a half hours until my mom came to pick me up because that's when the club was supposed to end. And after that, I made the case. My dad said, hey, all of my friends and classmates have phones. Can I have a phone? Yep. yep. And he's like, okay, fine. Well, on average, the your generation gets their first uh, mobile phone at 10.3 years. Yep, so you're, right. you're you're right there on, the, on that number practically. It is, I'm sure, your uh, preferred method of communication. On average, uh, people tell us that Gen Z guy, uh, people spend upwards of three hours a day on mobile devices. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. A lot of our generation has television. A lot of our generation pursues, uh, or prefers to view television on our phones in like our bed or on a sofa rather than setting it up on the television because it's just immediate access. So, so the, so the idea of being on social media is, is or uh, mobile devices is kind of, uh, beside the point. I mean, if, if you, if you have access to it uh, in many forms and, and it, provides a really valuable service for you. Of course, you're going to be on it a lot. But again, you guys grew up with it. It's not new to you. You've always had it. So you'd say at least three hours a day on mobile devices. Yeah, yeah, at the minimum. All right. Let me ask you a couple of things about platforms, just, just for the hell of it. What are your preferred or favorite platforms? Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, tell me. So for the most part, the most viewed um, social media platform uh, it's actually YouTube. Our generation overwhelmingly watches YouTube as our preferred social media platform. We watch it over more than Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus when it comes to entertainment. And while TikTok is certainly ginormous, we love TikTok. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually a fur number two on the list. It's not actually number one. Uh -huh. That probably be followed by Instagram, uh, Snapchat, or or Twitter. You may be able to switch around Snapchat and Twitter though. Uh, but generally, TikTok and YouTube are preferred entertainment platforms, while for more social media, social media pro, uh, things like how your generation would use Facebook, we would use that with Instagram, Snapchat, or even Twitter in a way. Mm. Let's be clear. My generation did not use Facebook. <laughs> we got, we, when we got, by the time we got to it, all you guys had bailed. So, yeah, yeah we're there. We're late to that game. Uh, Michael, thanks a lot. You're, you're a bright guy. Uh, I know you're going to do great. I'm going to ask you the question that I always hated when I was in my 20s. And people would go, to, well, so where are you going to be in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? I'm going to ask you the question. What would you like to see happen for you and I guess your generation over the next couple of years? Well, for me, 
I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I'd actually like to work for the government. Um, no, uh-huh. I'd, yeah, I'd like to work in the public sector. I'd work to work in um, the state government, so I can because I view it as the most financially stable job I can get post college. I can get a nice pension. A lot of my friends are a little more ambitious than me. They're like, "Oh, I want to start my own company." Some of them want to just be other public servants. Like m- m- many of my friends want to be teachers. And uh, help further other people's education. Well, I, you know, I, I certainly see you working in the public sector. I can see you running for office. As a matter of fact, Michael Altabelli, thanks so much. Continued success. I know you'll do uh, do well in college. Um, as I said, I I know your family very well, and you come from good people, so you've got a good good foundation there, and your head seems to be screwed on. Okay, we will put this thing up on on the site. Uh, you will immediately become the darling of social media as the spokesman for your generation. Uh, and uh, we hope uh, you will forgive us for doing that to you. Mike, thanks a lot, man. Hey, and thank you all. Uh, don't forget, uh, wherever your podcasts are had, we can be had. TheBehavioralCorner.com, uh, Instagram, uh, all that stuff. Uh, like us on Facebook. We appreciate that as well. And we'll see you next time on The Corner. Take care. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on the Behavioral Corner.